And he says the administration, this is a quote, instead of creating a lethal force in raising our technology capability, has decided to implement woke progressive policies like renaming bases so they're woke and correct, or funding and providing additional funding for DEI. U.S. military recruiters fell short of their annual goal for recruiting by 41,000 service members. So, is America safe starting 2024 with its smallest military since before World War II? My answer to that is no. You can answer any way you like. You'll find the question on X at Lars Larson Show and on our website at LarsLarson.com. Brought to you by AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens. AMAC has the conservative values I believe in. I join. You should too. Just go to AMAC.us or call 888-262-2006. AMAC's better. Better for you and better for America. A shout out to our friends in Forest, Virginia, who listen to great talk radio on WIQO. That's FM 100.9. And you can find my show is there as well there Monday through Friday. Now, let me tell you what I mean about this leakage of technology. And the Biden administration is getting questions on it. A bunch of lawmakers, both Republicans and Democrats, have written a letter to the defense secretary. That's Lloyd Austin, not the most impressive guy in the world. They want clarification on the White House decision to allow American companies to export technology to adversaries like communist China. Specifically, what they're addressing is DJI. I got to tell you something. DJI makes drones. And they make very good drones. I don't own one. I don't want to own a Chinese-made drone. But they do by the reputation they have in the drone community. As Again, I don't have one, so I don't have a dog in the fight. They make some of the best drones in the world. And how is it that they're able to do that? Well, the letter asks, in addition to aiding the Chinese Communist Party in the brutal oppression of the Uyghur population, in Xinjiang uh, province, DJI drones have been exported to America's adversaries for military purposes. And they also say the company is illegally equipping the Russian Federation with drones. And DJI, it's also known as Da Jing Innovations, is one of the biggest players in drone and camera technology. It was founded less than 20 years ago. Now, of course, they sold a bunch of hobby drones as well, but they also... They sell the kind of stuff that militaries use. And they said several U.S. companies have business relationships with DJI, including a company called Siva in Maryland. It sold technology to the company that it uses to manufacture its drones. And they also rely on several cloud services powered by Amazon Web Services, a company uh, possibly from Texas Instruments called BMS, Vision Chips from Intel and other suppliers, and legacy thermal imaging cameras. That's from FLIR. That's a high-technology company in my own backyard. They also say... 50% of the drones sold in the United States are made by the company DJI. So they've got a dominant hold on the marketplace. We're leaking our technology to them. And by that, I mean not secretly leaking. We're giving it away. And do you think the Chinese communists are going to care one little bit whether that's in America's best interest or not? Because I don't think so. Oh, let's go to, I want to grab this call from Jeff. Hey, Jeff, welcome to the Lars Larson Show. What's on your mind? Hi, Lars. Thanks for taking my call um, on Vivek Ramaswamy's statement the other day that he thought all the GOP contenders should bow out of the race. You know, I had a couple of thoughts on it. One was, I thought that was kind of, you know, bold and extreme, but 
to his, when he made the point, he actually came back and circled around and made the point twice. And um, I thought maybe in the back of his mind as a strategy that he thought eventually the Supreme Court was going to nullify that anyway. I think they will. Right. And then I was thinking, well, maybe if he knew that, that might, you know, as a part of a hypothesis, if you will, maybe discredit him because he knew that. But honestly, after what I when I originally called in and talked to a producer, I had I changed my mind that you know I thought that was a brilliant move on his part as part of conspiracy theory Thursdays because well, he called them out and he called them all out twice. So if they don't respond to that um, in some fashion, because this might take a little while, I thought that was a really brilliant move. Well, I think it's a smart move because, frankly, the Colorado primary, if they don't have Donald Trump in there, it's not a contest. It isn't even testing what the party wants to test, and that is who should be the GOP nominee. You've got the Lars Larson. They talk about serious issues, but even Lars has a sense of humor. I have a joke for you. The government in this town is excellent and uses your tax dollars efficiently. <laughs> this is the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the program. It's a pleasure to be with you and always a pleasure to talk to our friend Christian Toto, the host of the Hollywood and Toto podcast. Hey, Christian, welcome back. Oh, thanks for having me back. Merry Christmas in advance uh, as we head toward the end of this year. Uh, I guess I just have to keep canceling streaming services left and right. I've already canceled <laughs> Disney Plus, but you know, it's and I've already canceled Netflix and the rest of that. But when I read about what these companies are doing, it's almost as though they're trying to run themselves into the ditch. The latest being Disney Plus grabbing onto a, a, a show I never really got. I watched it a few times, but uh, you know, uh, in the original Doctor Who. Uh, but I never really got into it. And there are some people who are very, very enamored of Doctor Who. But now Disney has decided to to ruin Doctor Who as well as all the other things they've ruined lately. Well, I think Disney is caught because the brand is supposed to be family friendly and G rated and sweet and for everyone. And I think in recent years, they've been expanded. They've got some some parts, uh, I guess you could say verticals in their business that are more mature-minded or more for adults, not kids. And so now they've got this Doctor Who special, which there's a baby-eating musical number that, that is focused on <laughs> in the program. And again, you know, you get, you got to figure out who you are, what you want to be. Do you want to be just for, you know, G-rated all-family members, or do you want to be something that's a little darker, a little more cutting-edge? So I think they're in Disney's mild defense, I think they're caught there, but I also think they should be more uh, straightforward and, and, and transparent in what they want to do. So that that's what's happening. I don't know much about the show. It sounds absurd. Uh, I mean, Doctor Who just sounds as woke as possible. The last few years, I'm not a fan, but just hearing these headlines just makes you almost want to laugh. Well, and, and uh, just so, so people understand, you're not overstating it. When they say this is the episode in which they have a baby that's put on a conveyor belt. It's a cartoon show. So it's clearly aimed at kids, although some cartoon shows are aimed at adults. But the baby's put on a conveyor belt headed toward a giant monster to be eaten. And the surrounding goblins sing a song, and they have the lyrics of it, about their love for eating babies. Uh, and it's just, could you imagine anything more 
anti-original Disney than that? <laughs> hey, listen, maybe Disney, maybe Disney is we don't in there to test that. You know, listen, it's crazy, uh, but this is where we are right now. And then, of course, when these things hit the web, they go viral, and people talk about it and are outraged. So it, it, it's just crazy. But, you know, again, it's the Disney. I, I think this just falls perfectly in line with the fact that Disney is in trouble. They seem to have a split personality. They seem to want to make all the money from all people. And yet, at the same time, they're producing content that is not for all people. And yet they cling to the Disney brand. It's really confusing. And of course, you know, I think it gets more ominous when you've got kiddie programming films and TV shows that are directly aimed at little minds. And then they introduce some more adult themes or sexuality where the kids aren't ready for that. I mean, I think that's, I'm much more concerned about that, honestly. I mean, well, eating babies is gross and it's weird and it's not for kids, but I find that more offensive, honestly. Well, in fact, a friend of mine who actually mostly is a tax advocate, but he points out, I understand that in a lot of Hansel and Gretel popular fairy tales, you know, Hansel and Gretel in the, in the originals had, you know, the eating of babies too. But, but the, yeah. I think there were, and, and frankly, I've, you know, uh, if you go back and read some of the original fairy tales like Sleeping Beauty, it wasn't a kiss that the prince woke her up with in the original, original tales way back when, you know, we'll leave the rest off because we're a family show. But, I, I don't understand why every, there are lots and lots of companies that that do things like you, you make automobiles. So if you if you want to buy an average car, you buy a Toyota. You want to buy the luxury version, buy the Lexus made by the same company, different kind of product. You know, that when it comes to entertainment, I have to imagine, you know, of companies in the film business or in the media business who say, oh, this is our sort of artsy end of the film, our film business. And then this other one does action films. Some of them divide those things up so that you can you can have the right people working on the right things. And yet in this case, Disney says, no, it's all just Disney and it's all for kids and we're eating babies. That that doesn't make sense. And also, if you look at other parts of Disney+, Plus, they'll have a warning label on Dumbo or other classic cartoons saying you know, the cultural mores shown here are, are problematic or triggering. So it's, it, it is funny what they find triggering, what they don't find triggering. Do you know, I got to tell you something, Christian, you just reminded me of something I saw a couple of weeks ago because I wanted my granddaughter to watch It's a Wonderful Life. Now, it, a bunch of it is a little bit beyond her, but an awful lot of it. It's a sweet movie. I've loved the movie for a long time. Do you know, on Amazon Prime, which is one of the few streaming services I still have, do you know they have a warning at the beginning of It's a Wonderful Life? No, no. I, I'm not kidding what because it I it was burned into my brain because I thought a warning... <laughs> There was a warning on it. It said, this film contains profanity, sexual situations, smoking, and, uh, and uh, it was one other. And I was like, are you kidding me? And then I started thinking about it. I said, well, profanity, yeah, there's a little bit of it in there. Uh, you know, Jimmy Stewart's a pretty clean guy at, at, at that point. Um, and, and sexual situations, you mean he's walking home with the girl from the, the pool scene and, and she loses her robe? It's it's about as you know not it's about as unexplicit as any movie's ever been, and I thought and smoking oh yeah we got to warn people about that so one of the most classic sweethearted you know genuine kind of movies that's ever come out of Hollywood no big warning signs you know you may want not want your kids to watch this stuff because it's got sexual sexual situations and profanity and that's a, that sort of thing. 
That's amazing. I do know that when I watch streaming services, once in a while there will be a wild mislabeling where a serious drama is thrown into the comedy category or something similar. So my only guess is that someone just behind the scenes messed up. Although the whole smoking thing, I've heard a lot where if there is smoking, there, there, you need a warning label of sorts, which is absurd, but you know, that they're what it is. <laughs> so I, I'm going to, as soon as we sign off, I'm going to go look at my Amazon Prime to find out about that because I, I just, listen, we're, we're in a crazy world. Everything's upside down. Now, Christian, it just burned into my brain. I thought this is the last movie I thought I'd see a warning sign on. And I think there were four elements to it. One was sexual situations. And I thought, oh, yeah, boy, that, uh, you know, that, uh, that it's a wonderful life. It's almost as bad as Game of Thrones. It's got so much sex in it. I was like, no, I don't think so. I'm surprised they don't give you a warning. And it also has mentions of faith and Christianity and all that. How about John Schneider? What's happening with John Schneider right now from uh, Duke's? You know, he was on social media, I believe, X, you know, probably Twitter, as they say now. And he said something pretty crude about President Biden and, and I believe Hunter Biden. He was referencing some of their actions of late. And listen, I don't support anything they've done, of, of, of they've done politically speaking, but he, he said they should be uh, killed for treason. I, I'm, I'm paraphrasing it by not that No, much. no, you, you got it right. He said you are guilty of treason and should be publicly hanged, which... You know, I I don't do that kind of stuff because, first of all, you can get a really unfriendly visit from the Secret Service yeah. if you if you if you credibly threaten a member of the first family and a, a number of other people. Even this, even Kamala Harris's family is included in that, and is one of the few places where I agree with not having free speech to just say, "Let's go out and you know do these." you know, do do violence to the first family. I don't believe in that. I, I don't believe I, I believe in beating Joe Biden on a, on a legitimate basis, impeachment, uh, uh, you know, <laughs> indictment. I, I'd go for all mm -hmm. those things. But he said, you're guilty of treason. And I think he probably is guilty of treason. But but that kind of overt call for, you know, that just seems way out of line. So what's happening to him now? Well, we'll have to wait and see. Uh, you know, when Kathy Griffin showed that bloodied head of Trump, I no. believe that she was visited by Secret Service or something yep. similar. Yeah, so uh, that's certainly possible. But I, one thing I want to note is I want to, over the next few days, and I know it's a holiday season, so it's maybe trickier, but I want to see how the media reacts to it. And also, there were many, and I don't mean one or two, but there were many celebrities calling for Donald Trump's death uh, over the last six years. Uh, Snoop Dogg did a video where it was like a, a Trump impersonator was, was shot at. I mean, so there was a lot of this going on. None of this is good. I'm the same way with you. There are a million words you can use about the president of the United States. You don't need to go there. I, I'm fine with that line drawn in the sand. But I, I'm really curious to see what happens next, whether he does get attention. And because that is going to be the president. I think you're right. Christian, thanks a lot. That's Christian Toto from the Hollywood and Toto podcast. Coming up in a moment, we got a new Jim Gossett song. And uh, two years old, kids playing the out the Lars Larson show. vegan actually is? They say cows are bad for the environment because all they do is eat plants and fart, just like vegans. This is the Lars Larson Show.
Money from China, Ukrainian payoffs Shutting down pipelines and causing big layoffs Record inflation, oh how it stings These are Joe Biden's favorite things Bags full of cash that go straight to the big guy Railroading Trump by pushing the big lie who pay him to pull a few strings These are a few of Joe's favorite things Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show That's our guy Jim Gossett who does parodies for the Lars Larson Show Pleasure to be with you and Merry Christmas in advance If you want to join what we call the best conversation in talk journalism It's here every day at 866-HEY-LARS That's 866-439-5277 Send your emails to talk at Lars Larson com our Twitter poll today or X poll in the new year we're going to call it the 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 X poll uh, is America safe starting 2024 with its smallest military since before World War II just 1.284 million people in the United States military smaller than it's been in 80 years I would say no we're not safe with that size of military we need a bigger military especially because of the threats from countries like communist China and Iran and potentially North Korea as well. In any case, you can find today's Twitter poll at Lars Larson Show and at LarsLarson.com brought to you by AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens. AMAC has the conservative values I believe in. I joined the group a long time ago and you should too. Just go to AMAC.us or call 888-262-2006. AMAC's better. Better for you and better for America. Now, let me update you on a couple of things. Number one, Democrats in the Colorado Supreme Court and their ruling that Donald Trump's name will not be listed on the Colorado ballot, the primary ballot, in uh, uh, in next year. Next year. So this is not the first time, by the way, that Democrats have pulled this kind of trick. And you might say, well, it's happened before. Yeah, the last time it happened, when the Democrats decided to take a president's name off the election ballot was in 1860. And Republican nominee Abraham Lincoln's name was stripped off the ballot in most of the southern states of the United States. Now, you'd say, well, that's that's lousy. I agree with you. Lincoln was still able to win election because the Democrat plot failed. The same way I think it's going to fail uh, with Joe Biden's friends trying to take Donald Trump off the ballot. To your calls at 866-HEY-LARS, let's go to Samantha. Hey, Samantha, welcome to the Lars Larson Show. Hi, Lars. How are you? I'm doing very well. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you. Um, I really honestly wanted to just tell you that I'm a recovering liberal from the Pacific Northwest. Um, <laughs> growing up, my parents didn't really like your content, and we are a complete 180 from who we used to be, and I just thought... I would end our year letting you know that there are people who actually um, are intelligent and they change the way that they think and they come to the right side and it just feels good to finally be on the right side. And I just wanted to thank you for uh, doing something that you don't even know that you do. You you affect change in small ways, even if it's 10, 20, 30 years later. That's very generous of you, Samantha, because, you know, there are times where you can feel like you're just spitting in the wind. 
and and you're not you're not persuading anybody. But I've always believed. I mean, I know there are conservatives who like to scream at the other side, and there are times the other side makes me want to scream. But I think I do a lot more good if I just try to persuade people and say, "Look, here's how I got to my point of view, and and here's the logic I followed, and here are the facts uh, that that I've used to get there." And if you're persuaded by that, I'm gratified to know that that I've changed anybody's mind. I mean, that's nice. Uh, uh, I, I'm I, I'm not going to change my point of view to try to be more, I guess, user friendly. To the people who listen, I just tell people what I think, and I let them say what they think. So I'm glad to hear that. Now, these—if you've come over to the right side—these have to be some disturbing times right now for you and your family, aren't they? Um, yeah, it all obviously, obviously, all started in 2019, 2020, with the pandemic and with rules and enforcements and things that went um, against our morals and our autonomy and all these things that we now are you know, patriots and freedom fighters for, and it's just so amazing. And at least in our immediate family, four out of five of us are all pretty much on the same page. And so it feels really good. And I know it seems like we're always fighting a battle, just trying to get people to kind of listen to our point when we're just talking to liberals. And I'm embarrassed that I was ever one of those people who just didn't like Donald Trump for the sake of what MSM and mainstream media told me to. And, um, I just, I know that there's a lot of other people like that out there, and if we just continue to use our, our voice for positivity and we don't scream and yell at them, I think they will hear it and receive it. And I just, again, wanted to thank you, wish you and your family Merry well, Christmas and a Happy New I, Year. I wish you and well as well. And, and when the other 20% of your family that's the naysayers show up at Christmas dinner, you be nice to them. And, if they, and, and just say, if you don't want to talk politics, don't bring it up. And, uh, but exactly. because. I found one of the most maddening things is when people in your family or circle of friends say, look, I don't want to talk about this. And you say, okay, fine. We don't have to talk about it. And then they bring it up. And then when you answer them or you ask them an uncomfortable question, you say, hey, you brought it up, not me. So if, if you didn't want to talk politics, don't talk politics. My wife used to have a pillow that she had on the couch that said, if you, let's see, what was it? Um, if I wanted your opinion, I'd have stopped talking by now. Or something like that, and, and <laughs> exactly. you know. But I really do want to hear people's opinions. But if they give me an especially silly opinion, and I'm inclined to ask them a question, hey, you invited it. You know, that's that's where it's coming from. You say Joe's done a great job. I said, yeah, I noticed that the last time I was at the grocery store and paid the bill for a basket of groceries. Yeah, yeah he's he's Prove doing it. great. <laughs> Well, Samantha, thank you very much. I appreciate the call. Let's go to Texas and talk to Howard. Hey, Howard, welcome to the program. What's on your mind? Howard? Oh, shoot. I thought maybe Howard had something to say. Well, in any case, 866-439-5277, the number to call. Uh, Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. Check out our Instagram feed, by the way. Uh, One of my great producers, Mackenzie, has been doing a fantastic job. Now, I'm the face for radio that has to actually talk to the camera, but she's the one who does all the other magic that actually makes it happen. And then this email from Frank in Baltimore, Maryland. Lars, 
I appreciated your comment regarding the New York consideration of forcing Chick-fil-A to open seven days a week. Now, we talked about this earlier just to tell you that uh, what New York State has is a bunch of dimwit Democrats who said we want to pass a law that says that if a fast food outfit like Chick-fil-A or any of the other many fast food outlets that operate on what are known as the throughway um, they're, they're big plazas where you can drive off the throughway, off their highways. They're limited use highways and you can drive in and get gas. You can get, uh, you know, stretch your legs, uh, walk in the grass, let your dog take a break, whatever it is. But they have food as well. And one of the companies that offers food is Chick-fil-A. And famously, Chick-fil-A is owned by an evangelical Christian family, God bless them, and they've decided we don't want to be open on Sundays. Sunday is the Lord's Day. We want our, our staff to be able to go to church or spend time with their family. Well, what Frank writes in from Baltimore, Lars, you made the comparison that government offices are only open Monday through Friday. I suggest this idea to force businesses to be open, to serve the public, and apply it to the U.S. Postal Service. Why should this service close typically on Saturday at noon and then close on Sundays? Let's rally to have USPS open seven days a week, serving the public good. By the way, in France, their post office is open seven days a week. You've got the Lawrence Larson Show. This is with you and always glad to take your calls and a Merry Christmas to my friend Seton Montley, president of the group called Less Government. Seton, welcome back and, and Merry Christmas and Happy New Year to you. So Merry Christmas, Happy New Year to you too, sir. I appreciate it. So let's talk about the FCC. Exactly what is, I mean, I, I have to admit I have a dog in the fight. I've been working on radio a long time. The FCC is always lurking in the background. I've never actually run fully afoul of them, but what are they up to now? <laughs> well, of course, we've talked about Title II and net neutrality, uh, which is Title Title II. What they're doing is they're moving the Internet from Title I to Title II. They don't have the authority. Congress assigned it to Title I, the Internet. Um, they, they, they can't move it without Congress passing a law changing it. And, they, of course, they haven't. Um, and what it is, it goes all the way back to 1887 railroad law. And as we know, it's railroad law that goes to telephone law, 1934 telephone law, and that's a binary thing. Well, you probably have 14 windows open on your computer right now. That's hardly binary. Mm-hmm. And to try to cr- cram all of that into a binary law legal framework is just stupid. Um, they're doing this thing now with, again, they're, they're taxing $8 billion a year or more, 33-plus uh, percent, I think, of the fourth quarter uh, tax rate on your phones to uh, connect everybody to the Internet, except everybody at the Internet's been connected since 2015. Um, uh, they're just, they keep announcing, announcing new power grabs. Now they're going, they're doing this basically DEI, diversity, equity, inclusion thing uh, on, on ownership at the, at the FCC. They're just completely out of control. They're, they're, they're just, Every five seconds, they're issuing a new. It's called a notice of proposed rulemaking. That's what everybody. That's what all these agencies do. Is they say, "Hey, we're going to engage in these rules, uh, this this rulemaking." And and again, the dumbness, of course, is contagious. This has always been a, a another hobby horse of mine. 
they have comment periods. They're pretending they're de- democratic. You know, because they're unelected, they'd say, okay, we'll open it up to comments on, on the proposed new regulations we're going to impose. Yeah. And, of course, I'll bet all the money in my pockets. Uh, Name for me the last time a bureaucracy announced a power grab. The comments came in against. They said, you know what, we're, we're reversing ourselves. No, in fact, I, I can happened. cite examples to the contrary where government bureaucracies have gathered in hundreds of thousands of comments, and they're all, or I mean they're the, the vast majority, are opposed to the change. And the agency says, thanks for your input, we're doing it anyway. Exactly. And so I just I've never filed a comment in my life. It's angered a lot of my nonprofit colleagues because they make this big stink out of filing comments opposing this power grab or that power grab. And I'm like, do you really think they're listening? It's, it's democracy theater. Uh, these are unelected people adding to their power without Congress first granting them the power. And then they'll say, oh, well, we had a comment period. And well, then, of course, the comment periods themselves are, are particularly stupid. Are the comment periods actually five, required five by comments. law? Because I think it'd be yeah. hilarious to have members of Congress doing their oversight job say to the head of bureaucracy, so you're going to have a public comment. Yep. And are you going to you know, take note of, of which comments were the majority and who had the greatest number of objections or support? And if they said, yes, we will. So if the public opposes this, you will not proceed with the with the uh, you know with the <laughs> whatever it is you're doing. And if they say, "Oh no, we'll probably go ahead with it anyway," or say, "Can you cite me an example where you intended to proceed with a policy, a new policy? You wrote a rule, you took public comment. The public comment was even a majority opposed, and then you rescinded the rule. And I'll bet not a single bureaucrat can do that. I, no, and and again. This would be another thing. You know, I, I'm watching, you know, while, while I'm waiting to go on the air with you, I'm watching Bread Bear, which is the one show I watch on Fox anymore. And they're calling it a do-nothing Congress because they only passed 27 bills this year. And I'm like, well, wait a minute. That measure itself is it's important. <laughs> you know, as Jonah Goldberg once said, don't just do something, stand there. Yeah. Um, you know, passing new laws is, almost always means they're adding to their power. But my point is, this is something that Congress could do, like you said, provide oversight, re- watch a review process on a particularly large and egregious power grab by an agency and say, OK, you had a comment period. What did they say? It's against. Well, then why did you proceed? Well, not only why did you proceed, but will you if unless they're required by law uh, to to offer the public comment period. But if they are, say you're required by law to offer the public comment, the comments were overwhelmingly negative, I'd like your agency to adopt its own rule that says when we have overwhelming negative response, we will rescind the rule or seriously rewrite it and put it back out for public comment. That might actually give people some control over what the, the deep state produces. And, and it's and not if, impossible if for them to do it, law- is it? If they were required by law to reverse themselves, if the comments were overwhelming, or, you know, 50% plus one negative, I would file my very first comment in the history of my life. Because well, and then you might, and me, it, it might, you it and it me both. Carry some weight. Yeah. You and me both. Yeah. And wouldn't, wouldn't it be interesting if, and I imagine the staff of a senator or rep would have to go out and, and, and dig this data out and say, okay, here's a rule you passed. 
What good did it do for the American public? Well, you know, we just decided there should be a rule. Okay, and here's the sum total of all your public comment. It was largely negative, and here were some of the objections, and they seem sensible, yet you did it anyway. And just walk them through a bunch of those and say, why do you keep insisting on adopting rules that get entirely or majority or overwhelmingly negative uh, feedback? And, and the feedback is sensible. It says, don't do it because it'll do these bad things. And you did it anyway. Why would you do it anyway? And why would you and gather it, public and it, comment? And, and then it did those bad things that the, the negative comments pointed out in advance. Um, it, you know, we, we talk about zero-based budgeting, where, yep. you, you know, everything goes to zero, and then you, you have to justify every dollar every year. We should have zero-based regulating, too. I, well, actually, years, if, if you would put a sunset, if you put a sunset on every single rule and then said, OK, you're going to routinely come before us. We're going to say, OK, you got these 10 rules. Tell us what the number one did and what it did that was that had a good effect. And if you can't describe the good, we're going to let it sunset every, you know, and, and standard rules sunset in, say, five years. If there's one that's particularly touchy, it sunsets in two. And if you can't show us the good result that came something avoided or something good that happened, then you have to give up that rule altogether. That is Seton Motley. Seton, Merry Christmas to you and Happy New Year. Seton is the president of less government, and your phone calls are welcome at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com, and you're listening to The Lars Larson Show. So be sure to tell Alexa to play The Lars Larson Show. The Lars Larson Show. Okay, it's a nice ride. It's going to happen. Stand by playback. I know. Lars. Real Red Meat Radio. I may be a white boy, but I'm not stupid. This is the Lars Larson Show. Somebody at the White House has been smoking the devil's lettuce. Honestly provocative talk radio. More than half the women in my cabinet, more than more than half the people in my cabinet, more than half the women in my administration are women. Lars. Our beloved republic is in the hands of madmen. This is a dark day. No, here's your host. Almost lost my wife, my 67 Corvette. And my cat, Lars Larson. Welcome back to Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you. And I'm always glad to get to your phone calls and emails at 866-HEY-LARS. I got to tell you about something that I'm kind of expecting. We're heading up to an election year. So do I expect that they will try the pandemic scam on America again? Yeah, I think they will. And in fact, I think I can show you evidence that Joe Biden and others believe that they can make this stuff out of whole cloth, you know, just make it up as they go along. I mean, they've been doing it up to now. John Kirby from the State Department the other day saying, why, we didn't leave any weapons in Afghanistan. And you're thinking, are we really going to be susceptible to that kind of transparent gaslighting? I mean, they leave several billion dollars worth of weapons and vehicles and helicopters and the whole nine yards. And then later on, they just simply deny it, say it's not happening. You got Secretary Mayorkas, the so-called Homeland Security Secretary, who just stands there and says, no, our southern border is secure. Nothing to see here, folks. Just move along. I want to remind you of something that Joe Biden said two years ago. It's not quite two years exactly. It was the 16th of December. And this is the 21st. Hey, happy first day of winter. Um, but, or happy Yule. 
but he said something that at the time he said it, a lot of us said, this is hogwash. I mean, here's this guy who comes into the presidency and he tells us all he's going to be the unifier. He says he's going to bring America together. The adults are finally in charge of America. And then on the 16th of December, two years ago, here's what Joe Biden warned us about. Take a listen. For unvaccinated, we are looking at a winter of severe illness and death for unvaccinated. For themselves, their families, and the hospitals, they'll soon overwhelm. But there's good news. If you're vaccinated, you have your booster shot, you're protected from severe illness and death. Now, I got to tell you something. In full disclosure, I haven't taken the jab. I decided the mRNA vaccine was not for me. I've had COVID, survived it, it's fine. It wasn't that tough. It was a bad case of the flu. But no matter what you believe, or whether or not you took the shots or didn't take the shots, here's the point. This guy comes into office, and instead of giving us, you know, something like Ronald Reagan's morning in America, he's giving us something far worse than even Jimmy Carter's, well, America's in a malaise and it's mostly your fault, so turn down the thermostat and put on a sweater. I mean, some of you are old enough to remember that idiot uh, and the, the crazy things he would say. This guy is 10 times worse than Jimmy Carter ever was. I mean, Jimmy Carter is only glad, you know, God bless him. And he's, you know, I know he's in, in failing health. But fact is, Joe Biden doesn't mind scaring the daylights out of Americans and making threats like that. This is going to be a dark winter of illness and death. I mean, talk about a, yeah, just a com- and, and the fact that it wasn't true. Does anybody remember the great winter of illness and death two years ago? So as we head into next year, into 2024, an election year, fully expect that all of these people, Joe Biden and everybody who works for him, will stand up and they will lie through their teeth, if necessary, to get what they want. And what Joe Biden wants is mostly to stay in office and out of prison. Because we all know that if he was not president right now, all of the evidence they've already gathered on Joe Biden that I hope leads to his impeachment and shame on the Republicans if it does not. Joe Biden knows that he'd be under indictment along with his criminal son if he wasn't president. But, you know, for various reasons and probably mostly good reasons, you don't indict a sitting president. But this guy will lie through his teeth all day long and twice on Sunday. Glad to get your calls at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. Let's go to Alaska and talk to Anna. Anna, welcome to the program. Thanks so much. for. Are you listening in Anchorage or Fairbanks or where? Um, Anchorage. Very and good. I, thank I you. I want to thank you for your show. You're great. What, what I really want to do is to try to shake people's trees. Americans need to wake up to the power of words that they're, the progressives and the leftists and the communists are really pushing language to create fear. And with fear, you people, humans, tend to reach for a, a strong leader. And they're using words, and, and CBA, all those, all those main media people, they're using words like Nazi and stuff to, 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 to trigger, to knee-jerk people's opinions about someone. And yep. we need to wake up to the impact that that has, both consciously and subconsciously, so that we can be aware and, and fight back. I mean, it's really, 
if you look at what they've been doing, you know, the, the COVID shutdowns, the the harassment of, of political opponents and so forth, that is all true Nazism and totalitarianism. It is. And yet they use words to try to persuade us that we're the bad guys and they're not. So I think you're right, Anna. And by the way, guys, don't anybody forget, when you say Nazi, I mean, I know most of the time they're referring to mass murderers. Well, to accuse Donald Trump of mass murder is completely out of line. If they're saying instead, well, what were the Nazis? True. The National Socialist Party in Germany that fomented a world war. Well, has Donald Trump been getting us into wars or has Joe Biden been getting us into wars? Is Donald Trump pushing America towards socialism or is Joe Biden pushing us towards socialism? I mean, who are the real Nazis exactly. here? I hold back from exactly. using that comparison and unless I'm talking about mass murderers. But in that case, if you want to say what was the Nazi party all about? National socialism. And and in some they ways, were... Anna, you kind of made me think they're doing us a favor because you're right. When people are fearful, no matter what the circumstance, they reach for a strong leader. Do you think Donald Trump is a strong leader or do you think Joe Biden is a strong leader? Oh, well, of course, Donald <laughs> Trump is a stronger leader, but... The point is that, it, yes, it is a national socialist thing, and the point is that they want to divide. They divide they've, the Biden administration during that period of time, and I think Biden is probably just a, a word for the people that are pulling his strings behind the scenes. Obama. They are creating fear and hatred amongst Americans. They're dividing the country. We ought to, we conservatives ought to put together a list of the pros and cons or the pros for Trump and the cons of Biden, yep. and repeat that over and over again to give perspective and balance to these word slingers who want to say that black is white and white is black, and the well, lies and the lack right, of integrity Anna, that they have. Until Joe Biden came along, Barack Obama was one of the most divisive presidents in American history, and he kind of chummed the waters to create the conditions that we're in now. So Obama is somewhat to blame for creating racial division that wasn't there before Absolutely. Obama came in. And, and then Trump comes in and everybody prospered, young, old, black, white, Hispanic, Asian, gay, straight, the whole nine yards, all those groups benefited and they saw it. And that's why an awful lot of Hispanic and black voters are already saying, I'm not, I'm not voting for Joe Biden, not again. I'm going to go for the guy who actually did some good for the country and get rid of the old racist and send him off to the home or wherever it is he's headed. Coming up in a moment, did the deadly strike in Israel by Hamas expose a recurring issue of intelligence agencies misjudging things? We're going to talk about that with our friend Bob Barr up next. message from Lars. I'd like to apologize to anyone I've not offended yet. Please be patient. I'll get to you shortly. Who's next? 
This is the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you on a Conspiracy Theory Thursday, and always glad to get your calls at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. And Bob Barr joins us, the first vice president of the board at the NRA, soon to be the president of the organization, formerly a member of Congress and a CIA analyst. Bob, welcome back. Lars, thank you very much, and uh, I don't think we'll be talking again before Christmas. I wish you and uh, your staff and your many, many listeners out there a wonderful and Merry Christmas. And the same to you and yours, and God bless all out there. L- l- let me ask you this. Um, so you have this terrorist attack on Israel by Hamas, and Israel has uh, uh, at least a reputation for having a very effective intelligence agency, and the United States does as well. And yet, are our intelligence agencies failing us miserably lately? They are. And sometimes it's good intelligence that decision makers ignore or just choose not to act on. And that can be disastrous, as we've seen historically also. Uh, Or for one reason or another, your intelligence agencies in this case, uh, Mossad and the IDF, they're Israel's military intelligence, I think they might have uh, been uh, sort of enamored of their own reputation and believed that what they were seeing couldn't be what it was, which was plans for an invasion, basically, on many fronts. Uh, But, you know, they just didn't believe that uh, Hamas would be so brash or bold because of Israel's vaunted uh, military defenses and intelligence. But for whatever reason, uh, it was a very significant, if not catastrophic, failure of intelligence on Israel's part, one in a long line of uh, historical uh, blunders uh, since the beginning of World War II that we've seen governments all over the world make. Well, and Bob, uh, uh, within the first few weeks after October 7th, after the terrorist attack, we saw, I think the Wall Street Journal did the best job. They came out with a story that said, yeah, they, they took 500 Hamas members. They brought them to Iran. Uh, this is before the attack in September. And they did some fairly extensive training in, of these Hamas members in how to carry out an attack like that. So that puts you know the blood on Iran's hands as well. But I would think that even though that is a notoriously tough part of the world to gather, especially human intelligence is, uh, although it may be a little bit easier for the Mossad than it is for the United States, how could we not notice that if we're watching Iran? Uh, we are, the Israelis are. How could they have missed that kind of signal? And, th- and that's really a very, very important question. You can have tremendous technological capabilities to gather information, And with satellites uh, being able to zoom in to basically tell whether somebody has shaved or not shaved on a particular day, uh, it's, it's, you certainly should have picked up what was going on, not just in, in Gaza, where they were making preparations quite out in the open, uh, to a degree, but in Iran also. Uh, so this is a question, and you've raised a good one here that I, didn't really address in my recent piece, uh, and that is, is it not only a failure on the part of Israeli intelligence, but U.S. intelligence as well, because we have a very close 
working relationship uh, between our intelligence agencies and the Israelis. Uh, and if we didn't pick it up uh, through our technological uh, capabilities uh, or have it and didn't share it, that raises a whole nother set of questions about what our analysts are doing or not doing. Well, because your, your point is a good one. If you bring 500 people to another country, and it's a country that's being watched closely because it's the biggest state sponsor of terrorism on the globe. On the other hand, the Biden administration has been incredibly friendly toward them. Could it be a deliberate failure? Because if we saw that something different was happening, 500 foreign nationals being brought in from Gaza uh, to, to be trained in Iran, uh, Joe Biden desperately wants a deal with the Iranians. Uh, would we have would there have been maybe a reason, uh, not a good one, but a bad one that the Biden administration would have said, if we pass this on uh, to the Israelis, then they, they may well act on it and they may well be ready for that. I mean, uh, it's, it's hard to say that, you know, that, that we'd throw one of our allies under the bus to fulfill Joe Biden's ambitions. But, hey, Joe Biden seems to be willing to throw Americans under the bus from time to time to fulfill his plans. And and that's all I can think of. I mean, does does the CIA keep an eye on Iran? I would expect that to be an automatic yes. Do we have satellites that would show us if a massive training exercise was underway for weeks in Iran involving 500 nationals from Gaza? Uh, and how could we not have known it and warned our allies? And, and it's not only the satellite imagery that certainly should have picked this up, but, of course, the imagery is one thing, analyzing it and disclosing the or, or sending the information uh, correctly to the uh, disseminating it to the correct uh, policymakers uh, is quite another. So it could be a failure on the part of uh, the analyst. It could be a failure or a decision by the policymakers uh, not to share it, which would be, you know, criminal in their, if not traitorous, uh, Lars. Um, and I, I really hope that the intelligence committees on the Hill look into this. Uh, unfortunately, the House Intelligence uh, Committee, uh, the House Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence, has under you know, the last two administrations, this is not just the Democrats, it started under under Trump, uh, has become very politicized. And that's very, very unfortunate and could be very dangerous uh, if the Intelligence Committee, uh, particularly in the House, is not able to look objectively and in a nonpartisan way at what failures might have occurred. I mean, because if the simple question was, even for a simple guy from me, like me, Bob, was, Get the intelligence people who, who are in a position to know and say, did we have any forewarning that there were Hamas terrorists being trained in Iran in large numbers? And if the answer to that is yes, what did we do with it? Did we tell our, our counterparts in Israel, this may be coming at you, be ready for it, and it may be something other than what you've ever seen before in the entire history of the country? And maybe we did, and maybe Israel simply failed to act on it. Uh, one of the one of the examples I wrote about in a piece uh, goes back to 1941 when U.S. and British intelligence services pre-CIA warned Joseph Stalin that the Nazis, Hitler, were getting ready to invade Russia from the West, uh, going into Russia. So Joseph Stalin had accurate intelligence. He failed to act on it because he didn't believe it. He thought that the West was trying to mislead him. Huh. So 
it could be in this case that uh, that and and that costs millions of lives that uh, that blunder. Uh, so it could be that we we did pick up on this, we did transmit it to the Israelis, but they failed to act on it. I mean, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink, as the old saying goes. Well, and you think, Bob, that the I mean, I'm not a military expert, but if you said that that's a tiny slice of land, five by twenty five miles, and if you said we think there may be an attack coming out of there. And we're not sure the form, you know, certainly I don't think anybody predicted that it would be, uh, you know, people flying in under these parachutes and uh, and coming in on motorcycles, which, uh, as they pointed out, Iranian IRGC has done before. But it's not a technique that Hamas had used before. But be ready for that. Stationing a few extra people in the southern part of Israel around Gaza wouldn't have been all that difficult and putting them on a little bit of an alert if they break through. You know, start start shooting them down. And uh, that that's the way it should work. But there are example after example over the years of governments, whether it's our own government, simply refusing to believe intelligence, either because it doesn't fit uh, their preconceived notions or they simply don't want to believe it. Uh, it could be that, uh, that the Israeli government uh, you know, was so confident in its ability that it said, oh, okay, you know, that's fine. We'll we'll take care of it sort of attitude. Absolutely. That's Bob Barr. Bob, have a very Merry Christmas. You're listening to the Lars Larson Show. The Lars Larson Show. This musical message to anyone who wants to indoctrinate our school children. Hey, teacher, leave kids alone. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. Hunter the snowman, how he likes to snort the snow. There the cocaine goes straight up his nose. Hunter's done a lot of blow. Hunter likes strippers, ones he can impregnate. She'll take him to court for child support, cause he's over two years late. His out of wedlock children won't get the family name. That's because the Bidens, they don't have any shame. Oh, Hunter the snowman, watch him do another line. Should be in the pen, but the fix is in. He won't even pay a fine. Sniffity sniff, 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 sniff. Watch him sniff that coke. Welcome back to Sniffity, the Lars Larson Show. Sniff, it's sniff, a pleasure to be with you, and I'm always glad to get to your phone calls and emails. That's our great Jim Gossett, the parody guy for the Lars Larson Show. And Merry Christmas in advance. I even want to say Merry Christmas to Chuck in South Carolina. Hey, Chuck, welcome to the program. What's on your mind? I sure want to tell you, you got a lot of nerve calling Jimmy Carter an idiot because he wasn't. Sure, his mind's compromised with age he's at now, but he's a fine man. A great human, spent his life serving others, and you are zero minus one in his tracks, and you just another Republican 
right-wing radio hack and an absolute zero compared to Jimmy Carter. And I'm through listening to you, Chef. Mind, mind if I ask you a couple of questions in aid of an objection to that? Oh, well, Chuck took, took, took the coward's way out and he decided to hang up. I would have asked Chuck, look, can you tell me something Jimmy Carter did during his presidency that was good for America? And I think you'd, you'd be left with next to nothing. Now, I don't take away from Jimmy Carter nor his wife, Rosalind, who I've had the pleasure to meet. Uh, and it was nice to meet her. She's a nice lady. And they did some great work for Habitat for Humanity. But what you have to do is you have to give Jimmy Carter credit for serving in the U.S. Navy as an officer. Uh, I think he was a nuclear officer at the time. He's a smart guy that way. And then you have to give him credit for the work he did for Habitat for Humanity after his presidency. But his presidency itself was an absolute disaster. It was a disaster. I was a late teenager during the years of early, mid-teenage years when I was uh, a kid that Jimmy Carter was president. And he was an absolutely pathetic excuse for a president. He didn't know how to solve problems. He blamed the American people for being in a malaise. And only Ronald Reagan knew how to get us out of that. Jimmy Carter couldn't do anything but say, turn down the thermostat, put on a sweater. It's your problem, Americans. It's your malaise attitude that's keeping us from moving forward. No, it wasn't. And the second reason I'd call him an idiot, and I'd back that up, Jimmy Carter wrote one of the most anti-Israel, anti-Jewish books that I've ever seen in my life. And I read it years and years ago. He made the case that somehow the state of Israel is an apartheid nation and nothing could be further from the truth. And I won't forgive him for having said that. Now, am I saying he's an idiot because of his age and his disability now? No, I don't have to. It's because of his performance as president and his anti-Israel attitude that was, you're an apartheid nation. I don't think anything could be further from the truth. Israel, unlike the Arab nations, unlike the West Bank, unlike Gaza, unlike the Palestinians, Israel's a country of about 10 million people. It has about 2 million Arab citizens in it. Some of them are Christians. I don't think any of them are Jews, but some of them are Christians. Some of them, a great number of them, are Muslims. Now, how is that an apartheid nation? Now, in apartheid South Africa, where the white majority told the black, or the white minority told the black majority, we're in charge because of our skin color. There's an apartheid nation for you. But when Israel says to Arab citizens, you can serve in our military, you can serve in our parliament, known as the Knesset, you can serve in political office, you can run for political office, you can vote, you can own a business. You can go about your way. You can practice your religion in freedom and protection. And that's an apartheid nation? How dare Jimmy Carter? So I think Chuck had an objection to me, describing me as a, an idiot. But if I say, well, number one, he decided to run for president of the United States. And he did, by all accounts, the worst job of any president during the 20th century. Now, I don't know of anybody who thinks Jimmy Carter did a great job, and I'd invite the naysayer who would tell me, what was it that Jimmy Carter did that made things better off in America? Instead, if anything, he made things worse. And then that book, that book really troubles me, because when you accuse a country of one of the worst things they could ever do, which is treating its citizens unequally, I would take that seriously. 
Because in America, at least in theory, until the wokeism and the, you know, DEI and CRT and all this garbage that's come along lately, America has had a proud tradition that everybody is equal in the eyes of the law in the United States. So if a country like Israel had said, well, we're going to have less than equal people. We're going to discriminate against people because of their faith or because their their uh, religious or racial background or country of origin. They don't do that. And in fact, they protect their people so much so that when they've done public opinion polling, you know, Pew Research and other companies like that have gone into Israel and they've talked to the Muslim population, the Arab population, mostly Muslim, and they've said to them, would you like to live anywhere else in the Middle East? And they all uniformly say, no, I don't want to live anywhere but here. Now, stereotypically, you might say, well, if you're an Arab Muslim, why would you want to live in a Jewish state? And Israel is a Jewish state. You say, well, because they like it there. And why Why wouldn't one, they want to leave and go to Saudi or, or Emirates or, uh, or Qatar or any other place? Because they know they're safe in Israel. And they wouldn't be as safe or as free in other countries. And for Jimmy Carter, oh, thank God. I've got somebody who's going to tell me one good thing that Jimmy Carter actually did. I'd love to hear it. Matt, welcome to the program. What one good thing did Jimmy Carter do? He brought us Bubba Beer. <laughs> that was his brother, wasn't it, Billy? Well, yes. I mean, uh, otherwise, <laughs> Bubba Beer wouldn't have been around if it weren't for Jimmy Carter. Yeah. Do you know Bubba? Was it Bubba Beer? Yes, it was his or, brother. No, Bubba. wasn't it Billy Beer? Oh, Billy Beer. Yeah, I mean, this he, is he, this is he kept, he, Jimmy this kept forty nine years ago or so. But no, Billy Beer yeah. from Billy Carter, who was actually, you know, for all the siblings of you know either presidents or first ladies, some of them have been real creepy people. I mean, Hunter Biden is creepy for sure. James Biden is very creepy. Uh, Hugh Rodham. Hillary's brother, he's a he's a creepy crook as far as I'm concerned. But Billy was mainly just good for laughs. And 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 frankly, well, yeah. he, I don't think he, he didn't do any harm and he wasn't a major scam artist. He just said, hey, if my brother's the president, maybe I can sell some beer on that. But it was all out in front of God and everybody, wasn't it? <laughs> yes. So uh, we what we have here is uh, the Democrats. Uh, everybody needs to pay attention to their family before anybody votes for them. Yeah, you do. You kind of take a look at the family members. I think the Biden crime family has been in business for a good long time. Uh, but I don't right. normally blame people for their relatives. All of us have relatives who are not necessarily all that happy with. But but uh, but in Jimmy's case, I think his brother was one of the most harmless. Uh, first family members that, that that we've ever seen. And since then, uh, other than the Trumps, now when you take a look at the Trump kids, Matt, could you really come up with a legitimate criticism of any of Donald Trump's kids? Well, sure. They're, they're not uh, suing. They're, they're not going back hard enough. That's that's the problem. They're not, they're not kicking back. So, Well, and they probably should. Matt, thanks very much. Glad to take your calls at 866. Matt, thank you for the call. we got to talk about the Biden regime turning a blind eye to the crisis on our southern border. That's next.
will always ask Lars if he wants to run for public office, like president. Do you know how much power I'd have to give up to be president? This is the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. Our friend John Solomon joins us now, the founder of JustTheNews.com. John, welcome back and Merry Christmas in advance. Merry Christmas to you, Lars. Great to be with you. Should we talk uh, uh, southern, uh, our southern border and illegal aliens or talk about uh, Georgia Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger and, and his, <laughs> his latest troubles? We can, we can put them together because I think they're actually very closely interconnected. The, uh, there are a growing number of election officials that I'm talking to, Brad Raffensperger, the most recent one, saying that he's very concerned that uh, the, uh, the influx of illegal aliens across the border is setting up a scenario where liberals are trying to get non-citizens in a position to vote. And it's not just a hypothetical concern. Here's an amazing thing. A lot of people don't know this. There are 17 cities in three states in the District of Columbia that now allow non-citizens to vote in local elections. That's the first time in American history that's ever happened. Now, they're still banned currently from uh, federal uh, elections, but a single change by Congress could change that. It's not a constitutional prohibition. Uh, for non-citizens not to vote in America. It's just a law change, and the law was passed most recently in the 90s. On top of that, in Georgia, you have a liberal group that just went to court the other day trying to stop Georgia from enforcing one of its uh, uh, election integrity laws, which requires a citizen check when you register. You have to prove that you're a citizen in order to register in Georgia. This liberal group is trying to block that from happening. Of course, that is a uh, a, a clear uh, uh, effort that would undercut you know, great election integrity. On top of that, Rassenberger recently just did an audit in his state in Georgia, which has very good, pretty tough election laws compared to a lot of states. He found 1,600 people uh, that looked to be non-citizens who tried to get on the voter rolls in the last election. Fortunately, the checks and balances uh, caught them, but that many people tried. In Texas, where they also have pretty good election integrity laws, more than 11,000 non-citizens made it onto the voter rolls, and in some cases they fear may have voted in the last election. So you've got real evidence that non-citizens and the left advocating on their behalf are trying to get uh, into a position to vote in this country. And that's why people are starting to sound alarm. And with the influx at the border, the numbers and the risks go way up. Well, John, part of that that I don't understand, I mean, I know that I I can call the elections office in my area in Washington state and say, did you count my ballot? And and they'll say, yes, it shows you voted. How is it they can know about these thousands of, of, of foreign nationals that were registered, but they can't tell whether or not they voted? How is that possible? Well, that's, uh, that, in Georgia, they know they didn't vote. That's a good news. They were captured and they were caught and they were blocked at the polls from voting. So that's a good thing. In Texas, there are some concerns that the local election officials in Houston and other places did not check identities and may have allowed them to vote. We're going to have to wait and see what the final audits at the local level show because voter retention records are kept at the local level in Texas. Uh, but the mere fact that thousands of uh, non-citizens and aliens are trying to vote in this country is a warning sign. And the fact that you see liberal groups trying very hard to open the door for this legally, either through blocking or actually passing laws. We keep in mind there are, I think, eight communities in the state of Maryland that now allow non-citizens to vote in the local elections. The District of Columbia, just think about that. The District of Columbia allows um, non-citizens to vote in the United States. The ambassador to Russia could vote if he wanted for the city local election. Think, just think <laughs> about that for a second. That's where that's where the left is going, and I think that that's why well, uh, people like Rassenberg and others are raising the alarm. 
And John, just in anticipating what some of my audience may ask, if they say, well, why would they do that? I take it they're going to use the argument that's saying having the citizenship check in there makes it too hard for American citizens to be able to vote. And because it makes it more difficult for them, we should just get rid of the citizenship check altogether, even though it seems like a wide open entry point for illegal for uh, non-citizens uh, to be able to vote. Is, is that the argument they'll likely use to try to persuade Congress to change the law? It is the argument right now being used in that Georgia lawsuit to try to stop the enforcement of an ID and citizen check in Georgia. It's too hard to disenfranchise these people. Of course, we've known that's been rejected several times. Most recently, an Obama judge in Georgia last year rejected Stacey Abrams' arguments that that was the case. But they're trying again, and they're hoping to find the one judge, just like you found the four judges in Colorado, that go for it and do it. And I think that that's what concerns so many of these election officials who are concerned about integrity. Um, there is clearly a system, and that's, uh, you know, there's a direct connection between opening up the border and perhaps getting illegal aliens in a position, or certainly non-citizens, to vote in this country. Uh, it's clearly uh, an agenda for the left right now. So, John, tell me this. You've got a close connection to Donald Trump. We know about that, and, and I applaud you for that. John is, of course, the founder of Just the News. Um, when, when it comes to Trump, are his lawyers going to be ready to, to go after this fast and hard and accurately, I don't think that was in place in 2020, or at least not the way it should have been, to say to D.C. or any of these other jurisdictions, if you've got, you know, foreign nationals voting in your election, uh, we're going to raise that issue uh, if, if it appears they got in and got a chance to vote, and we're going to contest the results. Uh, are they anticipating, are they going to be ready to do that? There is a much larger infrastructure built and activated. And I think one of the things is there was plenty of money and plenty of lawyers ready in 2020, but there was an enormous complacency in the Republican Party. Many of the changes that the left got done, Mark Elias and others got done in these states, weren't challenged by Republicans, and they went into effect. And then, of course, you can't litigate these things after the election. It's too late, right? That's one of the lessons of 2020. You're not going to solve an election after the fact. There is a large army of uh, President Trump's lawyers. The RNC is much more active and engaged. They're actually filing a lot of preemptive lawsuits already in 2023 and 2024. That's a good sign. And a group of nonprofits uh, that didn't exist in the 2020 timeframe, things like the Amistad Project and others, they're also getting involved in in trying to vote uh, or to start launch lawsuits and litigation now. One of the things that is a big concern for a lot of the election integrity experts is a lot of the states like Michigan are leaving their voter rolls dirty. I mean, there could be people out there who are dead or moved from the state two, three, four years ago, and the state is not cleaning them up. That is a recipe for fraud. It has always been a warning that that's a bad practice. You're seeing some of these groups sue now and say, we want to compel this state and that state to clean up their voter rolls. No dirty voter rolls in 2024. So that's a good sign. In 2020, people are asleep at the switch. There's a very active uh, lawfare strategy on among conservatives to address these issues. I think the lessons have been painfully learned from 2020. A lot more activism in 2024. Now, is Ron McDaniel going to stay at the head of the organization? Because, you know, Donald Trump's raised questions about her. I, uh, the, what my reading of the tea leaves and understanding the president's recent comments, uh, I think her days may be numbered. She may step down at some point early next year. I wouldn't be surprised if that happens. That's not uncommon. Usually the nominee gets to pick their own uh, chairperson going into the election year. So if Donald Trump wins, he would get his own pick. I would watch for the period of January to March. I could imagine a, a leadership change occurring then. You know what, John? I, it's just a wild suggestion. 
Put Cash Patel in charge. Of the, <laughs> if he wants the job, put him up there, and maybe Daryl Issa. Would be a lot of fun, wouldn't he? As, as his, yeah, it would be a lot of fun, and I think he'd run rings around the Democrats. That's John Solomon. John, Merry Christmas to you, founder of Just the News, and you've got the Lars Larson Show. The Lars Larson Show. I may be a white boy, but I'm not stupid. This is the Lars Larson Show. Somebody at the White House has been smoking the devil's lettuce. Honestly provocative talk radio. More than half the women in my cabinet, more than more than half the people in my cabinet, more than half the women in my administration are women. Lars. Our beloved Lars. republic is in the hands of madmen. This is a dark day. No, here's your host. I almost lost my wife, my 67 Corvette. And my cat, Lars Larson. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. I want to tell you about some new statistics, and I love statistics because they are very good at describing a bad situation. As you know, the Biden administration has invited millions of illegal aliens to invade our country illegally. In fact, he's used the Border Patrol to facilitate their entry instead of trying to block their entry. And meanwhile, you've got the Biden administration in Mayorkas, the Homeland Security Secretary, saying, no. No, the border is completely secure, I guess because they give every one of those illegal aliens who come in a ticket. In fact, the most recent one, uh, there was a story yesterday that indicated a young lady who came into the country illegally. She came across the border into Texas, and she was given a ticket that tells her she must show up to the immigration service so that she can, you know, take care of her status in the United States, which is currently illegal. And... uh and when is she expected to show up? I kid you not, 2031, seven years from now. Her, her court date is seven years from now. And if you ask, well, what happens if she doesn't show up? Well, depending on who's president and who's in the Congress, either nothing or, or a lot. But, but at this point, she's being told, you're going to be in the United States the next seven years uh, before you even have to show up at the immigration office. And then if you don't show up, well, you'll be one of many, many people not showing up. So chances are we won't pay much attention to you. So when Donald Trump came down that escalator in 2015 and he announced he was running for president, he made a comment that just set the liberals' hair on fire. They ran around screaming, you can't say that. He said, when they send the illegal aliens across the border, and some countries literally will push people, and they'll release people from mental hospitals, from prisons, and they send, he, Donald Trump said, they're not sending their best. Let me tell you the latest indication of that, and it's from a group that I've been following for a long time. They have great information. It's called the Center for Immigration St Studies, and I don't get any money from them or anything like that. I just like their work. Uh, so what they did was they went out and they studied immigrants in america and how they make their way and uh, and the the numbers are stunning now in this case they mixed both legal immigrants and illegal immigrants which i think is a flaw but even when you take into account that, that some of these people are green card holders and they're legitimately in the united states or they've been naturalized and they're legally here and then you mix that group in with all the people who are here completely illegally of all the households headed by immigrants, naturalized citizens, legal residents, and illegal aliens, 54% of them used one or more major welfare programs in America. Now, you might know that if you apply to come into the United States, get a green card, 
there's a thing called the public charge rule. And what it says is you have to persuade the United States. When I come to your country, if I'm coming there intending to live and stay and maybe someday become a citizen, you have to persuade immigration services, INS, that you are unlikely to become a public charge, which is a fancy lawyer way of saying you're not going to you're not likely to end up on the dole on food stamps, welfare, uh, Medicaid, Section 8 and all the rest of those. The rate for U.S. households is also high. Thirty nine percent of native born households uh, are on some major welfare program. It could be one. It could be all of them. And compared to households headed by U.S. born immigrants have especially high use of food stamps. Um, 25 percent for U.S. born, 36 percent almost 50% higher for people who are immigrants. Medicaid, 25% for native-born, 37% for so-called immigrants or illegals. The earned income tax credit, in which even if you're not paying taxes, you get money back from the IRS, 12% for U.S. households, 16% for so-called immigrants. And they estimate that 59% of households headed by illegal aliens use one or more of the programs, legal immigrants, about 10% lower than that. I illegal aliens can receive welfare on behalf of their U.S.-born children. Uh, they can get the free lunch at school. They get SNAP. They get all these other programs. And nobody, no one program explains the higher use overall of welfare by illegals. For example, excluding the use uh, the extensively used but less budgetary school lunch and breakfast program, along with the WIC program, 46% of all immigrant households and only 33% of U.S.-born households. If the United States is a family, and your family is a prosperous family, people work, people contribute in the family, and then you begin to have your sons and daughters marry and bring people into the family, and you bring in some deadbeats who say, I'm not going to work, I'm not going to contribute, you folks are making enough money, uh, I'll, just, I'll just be a free rider here. That's the situation we have, except it's at a national scale, and it involves not a few people like a family, it involves tens of millions of people. Now, to your calls on this Conspiracy Theory Thursday, let's go first to Weldon. Hey, Weldon, welcome to the Lars Larson Show. What's on your mind? Thank you, Lars. Have a Merry Christmas. Merry uh, Christmas to I you think, and yours. Uh, Good, thank you. Uh, I was, I think, well, I would like Abbott, uh, the governor of Texas, to uh, issue uh, an ultimatum to the Chicago mayor and tell him the only way to stop the uh, humanitarian relocation of immigrants to sanctuary is for him to tell him to deport them instead. Publicly state, I want them deported. That'd be great, especially if the, if the, mayor of Chicago and the mayor of New York and the mayor of Philadelphia would say, yep. I will not only say it publicly, I will call Joe Biden. Now, I would imagine that the mayor of great. New York and the mayor of Chicago could get on the phone with Joe Biden. The Biden administration <laughs> has been flying loads of illegals to places like New York, except they don't fly into Newark Airport, one of the majors. They don't fly into Kennedy. They don't fly into LaGuardia. They fly them into Westchester County Airport, a relatively small regional airport where the, you know, the, the, the sight of a couple of hundred illegals getting off an airplane is not likely to draw much public attention, although they got caught doing it. Whereas what Abbott's doing is he's flying the illegals right into O'Hare International Airport. So that means people at O'Hare are seeing airplanes unload and everybody getting off the airplane is an illegal alien. And believe me, 
People on airplanes have called, you know, after they get off their flight, have sent me emails where they've called and said, look, we were just on a plane full of illegals. And they're all holding their new papers. Uh, they're holding the, the, the debit cards they got issued because we're handing thousands of dollars to illegal aliens as they come into the country. And they were allowed to, to board those planes without picture ID. So every other American who has to go through that TSA line and the TSA line says picture ID or you're not getting on the plane, they are currently allowing illegal aliens to board the plane with no ID at all. All they have is the ticket that was written to them by Border Patrol saying you've been ticketed, you're supposed to show up at the CBP or INS office within years uh, and, and here's your free cash and here's the way to sign up for social welfare and all that. Meanwhile, American citizens are staying there saying, I got to go through the security line. I've got to have the, uh, the body scan. I've got to have the, you know, x-ray of everything I'm carrying. I got to take my shoes off. I've got to show you picture ID and the illegal alien doesn't have to do jack. Does anybody think that's reasonable? And if you do, I'll be glad to take the naysayer call at 866-439-5277. Send emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. Vote in our X poll. You'll find that at Lars Larson Show on Twitter. to Hamas at the Republican Jewish Coalition Conference. If you spill a drop of American blood, we will spill a gallon of yours. This is the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you. And if you want to join the best conversation in talk journalism, it's easy. 866-HEY-LARS. And naysayers go to the head of the line at 866-439-5277. You can vote in our Twitter poll at Lars Larson Show. Or you can go to my website. The vote counts the same at LarsLarson.com. And you can send an email to talk at LarsLarson.com. I want to point out to you that there has been a real sea change in America. You've seen a massive amount of so-called protests. Uh, I guess if these were conservatives doing it, uh, Democrats would call it an attempted insurrection. But just Tuesday of this week, they arrested roughly 60 anti-Israel protesters inside the U.S. Capitol Rotunda. Uh, and they were led into an illegal rally inside the Capitol and uh, stop harming Israel, let's have a ceasefire, all this kind of nonsense. And it makes you wonder, and I think I've got the perfect guy to answer this wonder, and that is, is this something new, new anti-Semitism in America, anti-Israel and anti-Jewish, uh, to be specific, or is it something that's been bubbling under the surface for a long, long time, and we're just seeing it rear its ugly head lately? Rabbi Yaakov Menken is managing director of the Coalition for Jewish Values, which is the largest rabbinic public policy organization in America. Rabbi, welcome back. Thank you so much for having me. I've been wishing everybody else Merry Christmas, so a belated Happy Hanukkah and Merry Christmas to you and, <laughs> and yours, depending on what... I don't know what anybody celebrates these days. I celebrate Christmas, so there you go. Happy Kwanzaa. Happy, oh, no, don't, don't bring up Kwanzaa. That's, that's, that's one of those that I'm going to have to... I've, I've talked about before, and I'm not... But, but it's a subject for another day, as we like to say. So tell me, is this something new in America, 
Or is all this nonsense from the president of Harvard and UPenn and those knuckleheads? And then you've got the, 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 the protesters invading the Capitol Rotunda on Tuesday. You've seen major freeways shut down in cities all over America by people who are saying, you know, that, that you want to cease fire so that now the terrorists have struck. You shouldn't be able to strike them back. Um, is this new or has it been there all along? It's a matter of something that's been slowly percolating, carefully cultivated. We've been warning about it for years, and, and now it has burst out in, in full form, uh, in, in a way that I think is shocking to most Americans. I've got to admit, I was also shocked. October 7th, I did not anticipate that in America, a group for students like Students for Justice in Palestine would openly declare itself part of Hamas, declare all of its members on all the campuses nationwide to be mass murderers and mass rapists of Jews. But that's what they did. And I think that that should be shocking to anybody who values American civilization. Well, and Rabbi, when I see these public opinion polls that appear to say a stunning number of 18 to 24-year-olds or 18 to 34-year-olds are saying, no, we, we should abandon, we should give Hamas what it wants, not, not the Palestinians, Hamas, what it wants, and we should uh, stop helping uh, our ally Israel, um, that's out there as well. And, and a lot of us are drawn to the conclusion this is coming because kids are being indoctrinated on college campuses, unless we conclude that they got this at home or from public schools. Uh, do, you, do you have a theory on that? It's definitely the result of anti-Semitic indoctrination on campus. You have too many stories of parents believing one thing and kids believing precisely the opposite, to say they're all getting it. I mean, this is exactly the danger of indoctrination when it goes nationwide. This is something that Hitler pointed out. If you can control the youth, you indoctrinate the youth, you're going to control what the future looks like. And here you have, um, a generation ago, it was a few lunatic fringe leftists. Well, now those lunatic fringe leftists have, not only are they esteemed professors with tenure, a lot of them have endowed chairs in this department or that. Uh, a lot of them, by the way, in Near Eastern studies. And, it, of course, it should be appalling to any decent person, but you have a situation, I just today told somebody, you're absolutely crazy to matriculate to Harvard in this circumstance. I would never work with a Harvard alum of the class of 28. No, and, and I, I wouldn't either. And, Rabbi, I was encouraged a bit um, by, by the news, and this came out earlier this week, that a lot of young men and women will apply to college. And if they want to go apply to a real, you know, prestige college with a prestige name like Harvard or Yale or one of those, they'll apply early to see if they can get early acceptance. And then they don't have to bother with going after a bunch of other lesser colleges. And apparently Harvard's been sending out early acceptance letters and a stunning number of people are saying, thanks, no thanks, I'm going somewhere else. Uh, should we be encouraged by that, that, that there are at least a few kids out there who are, who are showing some common sense? Well, there is a certain degree of it. it um, apparently 17% fewer kids applied early decision to Harvard over last year. We're still going to see how many of those kids actually break their contractual obligation. Under early decision, you're supposed to be committing. If you let me in, I'm coming to you. 
a certain number of students are going to say, well, yeah, that was before she testified in front of Congress <laughs> and said that calls for genocide against Jews on that campus are okay. Uh, no, I'm not coming. We're going to have to see what happens. I mean, I, I still think it's appalling that 83% did apply for early decision to Harvard. I mean, the prestige of the name, I get how important it is. But at the same time, you've got to look at that and say, you know, this is now a, one of the biggest woke indoctrination centers in the country. It used to be an educational institution, but I don't think that's its primary purpose today. No, and when they've got a woman at the top, President Gay at Harvard, who's committed plagiarism, I don't think I'm, I'm speaking out of school when I say there's solid proof that she's plagiarized left and right from a bunch of her academic colleagues who've all, many of them have complained and said, hey, you're ripping off my stuff, and the, the university won't hold her accountable for that. Then she goes and get, does this congressional testimony in which she essentially says, well, you have to understand the context of which we're calling for genocide, that sometimes it's okay to call for genocide. I mean, Rabbi, it's literally... When I, when I do this show, we write a, a new t uh, question that we put on X, and it used to be Twitter, and I always tell my producers, they said, now, the question has to have two answers. And they said, what do you mean by that? And I said, well, and one of the illustrations I've used is, should we legalize genocide on planet Earth? And they say, well, nobody's going to say yes to that. Everybody's going to say no. And I've always used that as an example of the question that only has one answer, which doesn't make it a good Twitter poll question or X poll question. Well, I guess I may have to change that because apparently there's a stunning number of people who say, well, depending on the circumstances, genocide can be okay. We're, we've really reached that point now? Yeah, it all depends on context. I mean, isn't that lovely? But you see, this is actually the result of something. Claudine Gay, by the standards, that a, a professor has something called a curriculum vitae. It's a resume CV. on steroids. It's all the stuff that they put out. Her CV, by the, by the standards of most professors and most academic institutions, would fill a postcard. It's, she's produced a certain very limited, I think it's in our like 17 or 11 papers, like no books. How on earth did she become president of Harvard? And it's obvious because the answer is they were looking for their diversity higher. When you actually say we don't care about somebody's academic credentials as much as which diversity boxes they check off, that's how you end up with a president like this and so committed to diversity, equity, and inclusion that, of course, Jews don't fit in the right box. So whether or not calling for genocide against them is bigotry depends upon context. And not only that, 17 articles and apparently a sizable number of them that were ripped off, you know, because I can I can cut and paste with the best of them. But, Rabbi, I'm careful on this show. If I want to quote Rabbi Mencken, I quote Rabbi Mencken. I mean, I think, wow, Rabbi really came up with a clever line there. But I'm never inclined to rip it off because I don't like plagiarism. Rabbi, have a wonderful holiday season. And thanks so much for all the things uh, you've done for us and the time you spend with us during the year. Thank you so much. Looking forward to talking to you next year. It's a pleasure. Rabbi Yaakov Menken from the Coalition for Jewish Values. Back in just a moment. we got a new Jim Gossett offering and your phone calls and your emails at 866-HEY-LARS. You're listening to The Lars Larson Show. The Lars Larson Show.
solid advice from Senator John Kennedy. Look, if you hate cops just because they're cops, the next time you get in trouble, call a crackhead. This is the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. I've been waiting for the bubble to burst. I've been waiting for all the greenies who are out there, including Joe Biden and all his buddies, who say, oh, no, we have to move to electricity for heating, for cooling, for everything. We have to move to electricity for personal transportation like your car. And then, of course, all the other crazy ideas. We're not going to build nuclear. We're not going to use natural gas. We forbid you from using oil and coal and every other form of energy, and it's all going to work. And it it began to be very clear, even to people uh, unlike me who weren't convinced already that this was not going to work. It's not going to work. So I thought we'd uh, get a little update as we head toward the end of the year. Larry Behrens is with a group called Power of the Future. Larry, welcome back to the program. Hey, thanks so much, Lars. Great to talk with you. Did the bubble burst in 2023, and can we expect some uh, maybe some major sea changes heading into 24? I, I think it did burst in 2023. You saw, you know, electric bus battery manufacturers go out of business. You see huge wind projects off the shore of, of New Jersey, some of the biggest in the country, uh, not be able to uh, even get off the ground, no pun intended. And so we see that. What I'm worried about is 2024 will be the year that, you know, Joe Biden decides to use the Inflation Reduction Act as a big, you know, green slush fund to bail out all of these companies so that we can keep throwing good money after bad. Yeah, and, and and I hope that happens because all these various examples, I mean, I just, I've seen people back off. I saw the major car makers say, we're not selling these things. So we're going to cut our, Ford cutting its production of, of its uh, lightning electric pickup truck in half. And all these dealers telling Ford, this stuff that you're selling us is not moving off the lot. We don't want to be part of it. Four or 500 of those dealers saying this just isn't working for us. I'm hoping that this means that some of these people are going to come to their senses. Although, am I being too optimistic? <laughs> I don't think you are. You know, it's really interesting. The Ford F-150, I mean, a lot of EV production has been cut back because it's just not getting off the ground like folks thought it would. But the Ford F-150 is an iconic American vehicle. It is the most popular vehicle in America for, I think, 40 years running. And so the fact that they electrified it, to use Joe Biden's words, and then it couldn't sell, they have to pull back on it tells you kind of everything you need to know. You can take the most popular model of a vehicle, make it electric, and people still don't want it. So they're having to cut back dramatically. And keep in mind, this is after massive subsidies to build them, uh, massive tax credits to uh, for consumers to buy them. And so there's all kinds of opportunity here, and Americans just aren't buying it. Well, in fact, Larry, I've heard the number that, and it varies depending on the source, that it's tens of thousands of dollars that the car companies lose on every single EV they're making right now. In some cases, as much as thirty to $50,000 per vehicle that they lose because it costs more to build the vehicle than it actually brings in a price tag, even with the subsidies. Is that accurate? Yeah, that's absolutely accurate. And that loss is after taxpayers have subsidized it to tens of thousands of dollars uh, per vehicle, right? And so there's by one study an estimate that if you're paying $100,000 for a Ford F-150 EV, that actually costs around $200,000 to build. And <laughs> so the, uh, the taxpayers have subsidized it already to get it on the lot, and then consumers are given some tax credit to buy it, and it's still not moving. That's where we are right now. And so this is a product that the free market is not demanding, but yet Joe Biden is forcing. Well, and the other piece to this that, that has kind of flummoxed me, but maybe you can help me set in context. Uh, I'm not a fan of unions. I, I have been in unions before. I don't like them. 
But if people want to belong to a union, fine. God bless you. Good luck. Because I don't think they're good for workers either. But have the unions figured out that when the car companies and Joe Biden say, we're going to build a lot of EVs, and all the industry figures I've seen said, for every 100 people it takes to build a given number of, of, ga- of, of profitable gas and diesel trucks and cars, uh, you're only going to need about 40 to build the electric version because yeah. they're, they're built differently, they're, they're a different animal. And when the unions say, you mean you, you're going to have to surplus over half of our members? I would think the unions would go ballistic. Well, not only that, even if those that do get the job uh, building those EVs, you have to understand right now that they're within a year having to cut back these massive uh, predictions that these were just going to fly out of dealer lots haven't happened. And so when you're cutting back at uh, manufacturing across the country, then that is cutting jobs. And so, yes, anybody who is working in the industry should be fearful of this forced transition because it is a product that people just aren't buying. And this is at a time when internal combustion cars and hybrid cars are doing great. And so you have to (laughs) ask yourself, like, why are we building these products that they don't want and, and not building ones that they do? Yeah, because they're going to make you want it because you're going to say, well, I'll buy a gas car. And they say, no, you can't. They're illegal. So what's my choice? Electric. Well, then I guess I'll take electric. It's like, yeah, everybody is. It's almost like Henry Ford's old joke that you can buy, a, you know, what was it, the Ford Model T or Model A in any color you want as long as it's black. You can buy any any kind of car with any kind of engine you want as long as it's electric. And I just wonder, Americans are you, I mean, I'm sometimes even, I am, Larry, I walk into a grocery store with my wife and we're doing our grocery shopping and I'll say, what, there's 50 kinds of mayonnaise and 50 kinds of mustard, and 50 <laughs> yeah. kinds of this. I mean, it's, it's, almost an, it's an, almost an obscene amount of choice, but I'm glad for it because I think, well, sorry for the little mustard company that, you know, whose bottles didn't sell, but, but we have lots and lots of choice. And Americans are going to take something where the government says we will define the menu and there will be one item on it and that's the one you buy? Yeah, it's such a, a great point. You know, you have to look at it as the free market chooses with the mustard bottle, but Joe Biden can't allow that. You know, if he gives us the freedom to choose the products that we want to buy, we may not choose the products that he's demanding we buy. And so that's why you see, you know, I think Joe Biden has had, you know, massive amount of executive orders. I think at last count it was 126, one for nearly every week he's been in office, all targeting things like the oil and natural gas industry. And that doesn't even count the rules that, like, his EPA is putting out that are forcing these electric vehicles. And so you're absolutely, no pun intended, they've shifted from, oh, yeah, choose it because it's better to, oh, well, you're not choosing it, so we're going to have to force you to buy it. It's, it. That's the green agenda in a nutshell. Product's so good, we have to force you to buy them. No, and although there was one little bright light, I mean, I don't like, look, if Joe Biden does something right, I'll be happy to credit him. I mean, just to, I I guess, to show that I'm being diverse or whatever they want to call it. But the other day I saw a report that said the Biden administration was planning to up natural gas exports from the United States. I thought, great, we can take something we have in abundance. We've got plenty of it for us, sell some of it to Europe. Uh, you know, uh, push other suppliers out of the way, including Putin, and and make money for Americans. What's not to like about it? And then I see that Joe is getting all these all these uh, brickbats from the folks on the left, from the greenies, saying, "No, no, you can't sell them that clean fuel. Don't send the, sell it to them." And I'm thinking, you guys are willing to cut your own throats, aren't you? Well, let, let's not forget it was a natural gas fracking company in Ukraine that Hunter Biden worked for. So Joe Biden <laughs> loves fracking. 
just as long as it's not in the United States. But your your point is a great one, because when you look at Joe Biden looking the other way on Iran making oil, right? Iran's supposed to have sanctions. They make billions because Joe Biden doesn't enforce those sanctions. You let Saudi Arabia have oil. You let Venezuela have oil. You let everywhere but the United States have oil. And that is that, that dynamic that you speak of right there, where he is just trying to impose political will here in the United States. As far as you know, pulling oil out of the ground, he's more than happy to bake Saudi Arabia for it. But he will not uh, go to Midland and say, hey, let's get some Americans to work. Heck, he even does major league favors for folks like bad, bad players like like Venezuela saying, oh, you need some favors? Sure. As long as you'll ship us some of your dirty oil, we'd rather burn your dirty or dirty oil than the clean oil we pull out of Texas and Oklahoma. That's Larry Barron's Larry. Merry Christmas to you and yours with the group called Power the Future. I'm glad to get your calls at 866-439-5277. And we love taking naysayers. Naysayers are welcome always. And you'll go to the head of the line at 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. You can always vote in our Twitter poll. You'll find it every day on X or Twitter at Lars Larson Show and on our website at LarsLarson.com. We'll get to your phone calls and emails coming up. You're listening to The Lars Larson Show. Honestly provocative talk for America. Another strong take from President Biden on AI and the weather. Helping web tech, the web, web, the web telescope. My God, what is this? This is the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. I haven't seen a shift in population described in percentage to- terms like this in a long, long time. And it's not especially good news for Democrats, although I think there's a warning in there for conservatives in conservative states as well. Let me get into the numbers in a moment, but first, welcome to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you, and I'm always glad to get to your phone calls and emails at 866-HEY-LARS. And if you happen to be a naysayer, and we've had some great naysayers today already, 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. But let me tell you about this. There's brand new Census Bureau data out there, and I want to give full credit uh, to the Daily Caller for pulling all this together. And what it shows is that Five states, all states with Democrat governors and Democrat legislatures, Pennsylvania, New York, Illinois, California, and Oregon, have lost between a tenth of a percent and half a percent of their population just in one year, July of 22 to July of 23. Now you say, well, it's a small percentage. Yeah, it's a small percentage. It's a small period of time. 12 months, and you actually had a net loss in population in five states, all of them featuring Democrat governors and Democrat state legislatures, meaning that what you've got is one-party rule. And in one-party rule, there's no check and balance. One-party rule never seems to work out well. And left-leaning states have seen similar declines in the lead-up to the 2020 census And that led to losing seats in the House of Representatives and, yes, votes in the Electoral College as well. And the trend line for uh, liberals and Democrats, um, not good. 
It's not looking very good. In fact, uh, Dave Wasserman, who's with the Cook Political Report, says on its face, the trends look pretty bad for the Democrats. But it's also premature to extrapolate trends from the last three years out into the next seven years. In all likelihood, we're going to see a continued shift from California, New York, Illinois, and Pennsylvania to the Sun Belt and more Republican-leaning states. But you know what happens? Every 10 years, we reshift the congressional boundaries. And that's done so that every member of Congress ends up representing about the same number of Americans, roughly 800,000 for every member of Congress. So if you wonder... Why do we have these 435 members of Congress and who do they exactly represent? Now, some of them come from big cities. Some come from small or more rural areas, but all of them represent about the same number of people in their district. That's what the redistricting is that happens every 10 years after the end of the census. So, for example, New York State saw the biggest out-migration, a net population loss of 102,000. Now, when they say net, they, they know there are still people moving to New York and there are people moving from New York. But when you net it out, the, the in-migration and the out-migration, they lost 102,000 people. And by the way, some of the detail that these census numbers do not get into, but I know about it generically, California is seeing not just a loss of people, but a loss of incomes. Because the average person who said, I'm pulling up stakes and I'm going somewhere else, not every person, but the average, is a better paid individual. They're often professionals. They're, they often have very good paychecks. And they're taking those paychecks somewhere else. California saw the second worst net loss of 75000 And in fact, if I remember right, California has been a net migration state, in-migration state, for decades. Uh, and yet now... The net number of people is, is going down, not up. Illinois lost about thir almost 33,000 people. And the problem is they're looking at the, I mean, you see the big famous folks like Elon Musk saying, I'm leaving California, I'm going to Texas. Now that gets your attention. But then you realize if there are other people who don't have the same kind of media attention that say a person like Elon Musk gets, you're losing people who are taking a massive amount of income with them. And with that goes the tax base. Because when you see 75,000 people who make great paychecks or 101,000 or 102,000 in New York State, that means you're losing the tax money to pay the benefits. And you're leaving behind more of those people who are not able to actually generate the income to support what they do. Texas, get this. Texas added not quite half a million more residents than it lost. Uh, Florida was right behind with a net gain of 365,000 people. Now, am I saying I want to go to one of those states? No. What I'm saying is what happens in a country when people, thank God this country is not run uh, as, as one big nation. It is run as 50 individual states. And if we had a more constrained federal government where they're not constantly scooping up a bunch of tax revenue and then deciding based on politics how to shovel it out to the states, the states ought to keep more of that or they ought to give it back to the people actually paid it, the taxpayers. But if you had a federal government that was, as it was designed, supposed to have enumerated powers, they were supposed to stay in their lane, 
You didn't need a federal department of education that costs us almost a trillion dollars every 10 years. If you got rid of that and the money went back to the taxpayers or just back to the states, and we said to the states, you decide how to spend this education money. We're not sending it off to Washington, D.C. Those folks don't exactly have a lock on the right way to do things. If you did it that way, then I think the move would be even more pronounced because people in states like New York and Illinois and California are saying the schools are failing our kids. Where can we get a great school? And when they find out, oh, that state does very well with its students, they say, well, then why don't we move there? It's exactly the idea that Ben Franklin and other people called laboratories of democracy. In other words, when a state decides to colossally screw up the way Illinois has, the way New York has, and the way California has, the citizens are free to say, then I'm going somewhere else. It is one of the elements of what I consider the private sector that's actually reflected a little bit in government. It ought to be reflected a lot more. If you go to a store and you say, ah, I used to go to that store all the time, but they don't provide me with good service anymore, so I'm taking my paycheck and I'm taking my purchases somewhere else. You can do the same thing with states. And, of course, I know that it's incredibly difficult for the average family to say mom and dad are going to quit their jobs, we're going to pack everything up, sell our house, and move hundreds of miles away. But at some point, if the conditions get bad enough, and clearly they are in places like New York and Illinois and California, the people will do that. And when they do, the state with the out-migration has two choices. Fix the problem or lose your population, or lose big parts of your population. And usually from a taxpayer standpoint, you're moving away from high taxes, away from crazy government, away from crazy regulations, and you're moving toward more freedom and more liberty. Who in the world wants to move to less liberty and less money from your paycheck? Glad to get your calls, 866-439-5277. Send your emails the to Lars Larson Larson Show. Larson.com. 